doing it. This is it. Nehemiah, we are landing. It's like, it's, it's not just a plane. This is like an Airbus. We are landing it this week. As a community, we have committed ourselves to like three months to just soak in this ancient Near Eastern inspired story of a people rising up and building not just an edifice or a defensive structure, but truly building a community and building themselves into the people that God has designed them to be. And so we're ending that, Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13. And let me just start off with a quick prayer. Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, we just take, uh, the, we just take everything that we have. Lord, I take this, this page of notes, the ideas rattling around in my head, whatever I preached at the last service, Lord, and I just offer them to you afresh, Holy Spirit, and ask you to do whatever it is you want to do, kick me out of the way early and quickly, and move um, in all of our minds and hearts. We ask, Lord, for you to open the ribcage of our souls, Lord, and just do the work you're wanting to do. We love you. We are thankful to be called your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, well I'm delighted to be here. And Nehemiah 11, 12, 13. I'm going to say something. When I first saw this passage, when I first took a peek at it, I was wondering, how am I going to preach this thing? And I saw it months ago, months ago, and looked it, looked it over, and I thought to myself, Okay, this will be interesting. And somehow, in the course of that time, God has sort of nudged me and pushed me over right smack into the vortex of the, or the slipstream of what is happening in Nehemiah 11, 12. Not so much 13. 13 is interesting. I'll talk about it maybe quickly. So here's the overview, because I'm not going to read every single line in these particular chapters. The overview is this. The structure has been built. Israel has been sort of reunified uh, based out of Jerusalem. The job is done. And there's a great sense of joy, but there's an organization of the people left to be done. So Nehemiah basically oversees the process by which all of the different Jerusalemites and, and, and Jews who are all around scattered, how they pick representatives to live in the land who say we commit ourselves not just to be sort of temp workers on the on this structure and then we're going to go but we're going to live here we're going to call this place home so it describes that in chapter 11 and then chapter 12 it describes a group of people that are organized and put in place to oversee the most important ritual center or worship center at that place in the universe at this time. That is the temple in Jerusalem. These are the people, the Levites and the, um, the priests who are called to oversee and say, Lord, we turn to you. We look to you. You are incredible and we are going to make sure that your worship is ongoing. The hearth of your, uh, of your praise is just ignited through the seasons. And so but, and then 13, Nehemiah, he has been back in Persia, back east, and he comes and visits after a little time away and notices, like a good personal trainer would, y'all have had a little too much Thanksgiving dinner. Y'all have been not doing your push-ups and your sit-ups and your cardio. And so he shows up and says, we're doing some push-ups right now. Let's get a trash bag. Give me the junk food. Throwing it out and starting this thing back on track. So I use that metaphor 
for kind of what he does. He sort of cleans up shop. We're not going to get to 13 as much. It's sort of that part that rolls during the credits. You know, the part of the movie that's kind of rolling? That's how I picture it, at least. Now, chapter 11 and 12, let me just get real honest with you. If NyQuil were a book in the Bible or a chapter in the Bible, this would be it. Okay, I'm just going to be straight with you. Now, the beautiful thing is this, and I, I emphasize this quite a bit when I teach. The Bible is not meant to be a pop-up book that just dazzles us with surprises and zesty little treats every turn of the page. It's so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. Like a master surgeon who sometimes doesn't have the best, like, bubbly personality. You're like, I don't need you to have a bubbly personality. I have friends for that. I need you to be a master surgeon. And that's kind of what these chapters are like. So in this list of names, and that's exactly what it is, giant, ongoing list of names that you can't pronounce and I can't pronounce. In this list of names, what we're going to find is actually a deep, profound well of truth and something for us to reflect on. But we're going to read some names. Oh, we're going to read some names. And by the way, it is so good to see Don Van Buren first time back at church since quadruple bypass. Don. So if you'll open with me, chapter 11 lists the names of those settling in Jerusalem. And it's a list of names. Chapter 12, the priests and the Levites. And it's a list of names. So I'm just going to read part of chapter 12. Because you sample the goods, you'll notice what's in the whole entire two chapters. Chapter 12, verse 1. If you've had trouble sleeping, this may help. There are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, son of Sheathiel and Jeshua, Shariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shachaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Edo. It's my favorite. If I get a new beta fish, I'm going to name him Edo. Genothio, Abijah, Mamnijah, Mamamad. Can't pronounce that one. Bilga. Shemaiah, Jorab, Jeshua, Salu, Amuk. There's a good name. Amuk. Must have been a runner. See what I did there? Do you see the kind of humor that I'm operating out of? Do you see the resources? Intellectual, rhetorical resources that I'm deploying right now? Amuk. Where was I? Okay, yeah, it's right in the middle of a list. Hilkiah, Jedediah. These were the heads of the priests and their brothers in the time of Jeshua. The Levites, Jeshua, Binu, Kadamel, Sherebina, Judah, Marathina. In charge of thanksgiving songs, he and his brothers. It's kind of cool that there were these folks. They weren't just priests. They were also this uh, chorus. Jeshua begot Joachim, Joachim begot Elshabab, Elshabab begot Joadiah, Joadiah begot Jonathan, Jonathan begot Jadu. In the time of Joachim, Joachim, the heads of the priestly clans were Maraniah, Saraniah clan, Hananiah of the Jeremiah clan, Meshulam of the Ezra clan, Jehoanan of the Amara clan, Jonathan of the Melku clan, Joseph of the Shabana clan, Ada of the Harum clan, Helkiah of the Maruth clan, Zechariah of the Edo clan, Meshulam of the Gininoth clan, Zikri of the Abijah clan, and the text continues in just this way for most of it. Now you're just, I'm thinking generationally this week in particular. I've been in a deep place of generational reflection. 
every age and every generation has its strengths and has its blind spots. Every generation. We could go through each one and learn from them. Indeed, I argue, I'm a historian, therefore I'm biased, of course. I argue we should examine and go through and learn through generations. Blind spots, strengths. Today, I want to talk to my generation. I want to talk to my people. All right, so, so where's my millennials at in the room? Where's my millennials? Where are you at? Let me see you. Okay, my, I'm an old millennial, 1981. I made the cut. And where's my Generation Z or Generation I? This is high schoolers, high schoolers, and early college. High schoolers, Generation, okay, there you are. All right, the rest of you, Gen X, baby boomers, builders, you can listen in on the conversation we're going to have together. But it's very much a personal reflection about us, about our moment. Ray, good to see you, brother. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our generations, our time. Every age has blind spots and strengths. Our current generation, my generation, and the generation right behind me, we have a particularly unique blind spot. Narcissism and the deep desire to stand out is a temptation. It's a drumbeat that's ongoing, and I feel it in my heart. It's, it's a rhythm that I can find myself sort of bobbing to without even thinking about who's seeing this. How's this going to look? How's this going to play out? It's a song, a cultural song that you find yourself singing. How do I look right now? Am I unique and different? And you don't even know you're singing it until you realize I've been singing this song. Right? This is a particular, particular set of questions and priorities that I have, and I would argue most of us in that particular sphere have, more acutely in a more distilled fashion than maybe the generations older than us. Who's hot right now? What's trending? All right, these are questions you'll hear a lot. Who's the game changer, the front runner, paradigm shifter, leading innovator, expert, entrepreneur? Am I Ivy League material? How do I make this letter stand out? How can I make this resume pop? How do I distinguish myself from the pack? What's my legacy? Am I top tier, avant-garde? How am I different? How am I fresh? What's my brand? These kinds of preoccupations are very loud in the world we live in. Very loud in my head. How many likes did that get? How many followers? Maybe never before, no, never before in the history of humankind have we had a platform to allow this to just blossom, a garden to plant these cultural songs and impulses into. Never before have we had a garden and soil that could grow so well. Our own interest in how folks perceive us and what we're about and what we're doing and how it's being seen. So we're talking real about this for a moment. And we're thinking generationally. Franco's going to be adding in. He's a Pentecostal. Adding in a few lines as we go. And this isn't all our fault, by the way. I'm, it's not all our fault. 
It's not just that millennials and that Gen Z, we woke up and go, I think it's about me. I mean, our educational curriculum, the curriculum I was raised in, the common mantra was, you're so unique, and how can your uniqueness shine? You need a lead. Everyone's a leader. Everybody needs to show how they're so different and distinct and so much more than what people think they are, right? Do something that will last forever. Make sure the world remembers you were here. These are the lines. And now, here's the thing about it. There's good and bad with all of it. It's not just a black and white thing. Well, that's all trash. No, that's actually a very good thing to say, hey, see how you've been uniquely made and see how to thrive in those strengths. And it's not bad if you have something good to sort of exhale to the world to then exhale that and let folks see it. So these aren't all bad things, but these were lines that were so maybe imbued into us that the national anthem of our generation has been something like Distinguish yourself. Break away from the pack. Our heroes are the people that right, dropped out of college and did their startups and out of their garage. We love garages in our narratives, right? Out of their garage, they built something that blew up, and here it is today, sold for $14 billion, and they're on to the next thing. What have you done for me lately? What's the new idea? That's old. What's fresh, right? These are questions that do haunt us. They really possess us as a generation more profoundly than generations past. Now, this is reality, and you might think, how is this guy going to tie all this together? I'll try. But you might think that moving into the greener pastures of Jesus following and of church culture and, and, and Christianity, it's going to be a different story. You'll walk into that room and go, oh, finally, people who do it differently. Now, again, the complexity of it is, yes, we have this wonderful compendium of ancient Near Eastern, ancient Mediterranean-inspired texts, ancestral tradition, truth from a God's eye view that we go to to hear different songs, to hear different drums beating, to hear a different symphony that reshapes and moves the furniture around in our hearts and minds and says, no, we will live differently. So we do have this source of change in our life this detoxifying and refocusing source as a generation when you follow Jesus. You totally have that. But at the same time, those drums, those generational drums are so loud and incessant. And especially when you, you could live in the rural areas of the U.S. and you're still connected to this megapolis that is the World Wide Web and the online community. And it's there. And you'll see the same celebrity impulse that you need to be a celebrity you need to stand out I'll confess as a pastor as someone who's been in ministry for 20 years it is a struggle to say what if I'm not anything special as a pastor what if I don't break out of the pack and write that book that everyone reads that gets me onto that platform that everyone sees that makes my fingerprints on the shape of ministry that, and it's for Jesus, of course. It's all for Jesus, praise Jesus. But, so that impulse is right there in the middle of our own house. So generationally, I'm speaking to us. And the tragedy is, with that loud cacophony of voices saying, make sure 
that your letter distinguishes you from the rest of the applicants. Make sure that your sound, look, smell, style is so distinct. That particular set of choking voices can help us completely miss one of the most profoundly beautiful spiritual truths in our scriptures. In our mad scramble to sparkle, in our age of political pyrotechnics, where if you want to get votes and be noticed, you have to do something or say something kind of outlandish. Our favorite celebrities on the field know that advertising revenue is so critical for them, so they have to somehow find a new touchdown dance or way to wear their hair or a thing that will take them and say, you're not just a linebacker or you're not just a basketball player, you are a celebrity and we will use you to sell things. That particular set of impulses leads us to maybe miss out on one of the richest gifts God has to offer. And here it is. Now for the tie-in of 11, 12, and all that stuff I've been talking about. Millennials, Gen Z or Gen I or whatever they're going to end up calling you, we might just be missing out on the beauty of the ordinary. The transcendent beauty of the normal. Of being but a name in a list in the middle of the pack, knowing who we are, knowing who God is, and living joyfully without the pressures of how will I be different. There's this beautiful passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12. I'll read it. You can turn there if you want or you can hear me. But Paul is talking to this group and he says this. And the verse I'm about to read, I have never seen it as the mantra or the theme verse for a camp. It's not going to be Catalyst Conference 2019's main verse that's going to sort of brand their conference. It's not the main text of our church. It's not on many t-shirts or any t-shirts. But here it is. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more and more and make it your ambition. We're like, oh, here we go, here we go, let's go. Ambition, ambition, here's our word. This is the one we're looking for. Let's get the wheels of industry turning. Let's get the creative juices flowing. Let's get the collaborations moving. Let's make sure that that profile page is fresh. The ambition's coming. Let's see how we can leverage this. Make it your ambition. What, Paul? Here it is. Your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Now that should be a church mind. <laughs> mind, your, mind your own business. Oh, that's our, hey, high school camp this year, let's do it. Mind your own business. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Did you hear that? 
so that your daily life, that is the, the seconds and minutes and hours and afternoons and weeks and months, that all together in this beautiful train win the respect of those outside. Not these flashpoints that gain the attention of others, of those outside, but rather that you may win the respect. I had the honor this week, the profound honor, to lead a funeral for Harold Van Buren, Don Van Buren's father, a World War II veteran, a man who dropped out of high school to join the war effort. World War II. I'm thinking generationally this week. I'm thinking very generationally this week. Harold Van Buren, as I hear about his life, a man who joins the, the most incredible in size, magnitude, cost, requirement for bravery, as he fought in the Pacific, the most incredible in terms of proportion war that has ever been fought against a true evil, a true and peer-focused evil. And men who said, like my grandfather, I hear Harold Van Buren's story, and my grandpa, Grandpa Harris, he went, fought in the Pacific, didn't talk much about it afterwards. And he asked him, Grandpa, why'd you go? What was it like? And you know what he says? Just what we did. When, with evil like that, it's what we did. We went. And Harold Van Buren comes home becomes a machinist for aerospace. He lives the hours and weeks and months of his life giving more than he took, driving the church bus, also going to First Baptist, loving on his kids, grandkids, teaching kids how to read the, ride the bike, playing some ping pong, faithful life, well lived. And I'm learning, church. I'm learning. I'm watching and I'm learning. The man used a rotary phone until the day he died. He's like, I, I want the rotary phone so I can turn and I can think about the next number I'm going to turn as it goes back around. Like, this is a generation. There's a reason. Now, every generation has blind spots and strengths. And yes, we can go back and look at where generational blind spots were. But what I am thinking about today in my moment so I'm thinking, how can I make it my ambition to lead the quiet life that wins the respect, the long game, rather than the quick sprint saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Because it's strong, millennials, right? It's strong, Gen Z. You feel it. What if I say no to this opportunity? What if I don't post on this really cool moment? I just let the sun set. Lord forbid the sun should set without me capturing it and sharing it. Right? That stress is a real stress. Is there Wi-Fi here? Lord, bring me Wi-Fi. Right? It's a real thing and we can joke about it, but it's real. And so what do, I, what do I see in this list? What do I see in this chapter, these chapters of just names? Names that we've all forgotten and names that we can't even pronounce. What I see here is a bunch of folks in this caravan 
of love and response to God. A bunch of folks faithfully living out that don't need their name on the headline. That don't need their particular post in life to be all that it's about. Am I saying we shouldn't work hard? Absolutely not. My grandfather Harold, and Harold Van Buren and his generation, these were some of the hardest working, most brave, most industrious, courageous men you'll ever meet. Oh, work hard. Study hard. But when you're able to unclench your fists and open your hands and say, what if I don't have to sparkle? What if I don't have to have my life spangled with accomplishments that the world can see. And instead, I can live and love and be okay with the middle of the pack right where God has me. And by the way, right where God probably has most of us. That pushes against a full narrative that we have been raised with. And I dare say these chapters encourage us to start asking the question, how normal is my ministry? Am I okay with that? If the River Church doesn't break out and isn't featured in Christianity Today or in whatever the new church planting conferences, are we okay with that? Is it making our ambition as a church to be so different than every other church? You come to the river, oh, you never see anything like it. Or do we make it our ambition to say, Lord, how can we be faithful? How can we celebrate not the grandiose victories that we have made happen, but rather the quiet moments? and the service behind the scenes. And so we're going to spend some time celebrating. Because if you continue through, by the way, the secret to the middle of the pack, here's the secret to the middle of the pack. It's a party in the middle of the pack. I love that quote. John, you know I love you. And I love that quote you read. Free from the fear of life and death. That's what we have. Free from the fear of not mattering or not being noticed. That's what we have. And when you finally realize, like, oh, I don't have to do jumping jacks and light myself and my hair on fire for people to notice. But I can just be free who God made me. Let's party. Let's celebrate. And that's what you see. The whole rest of the passage is this Verse 30, the priests and Levites purified themselves, purified the people, the gates of the wall. I had officers go up on the wall, appoint two large thanksgiving choirs and processions. One marched south on the wall. Behind them were Hoshaniah, the half of the officers of Judah, Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, and on and on it goes. From there, the fountain gate, they ascended the steps to the city of David directly before them by ascent of the wall, the house of David, and the water gate on the east. The other Thanksgiving choir marched the wall in the opposite direction. So there are just these parades of music and celebration and joy. And you can't distinguish one from the other. Who's in that? Who's there? It's just this group, this great, beautiful cacophony or symphony, euphony of folks celebrating. And it says this on verse 43. On that day they offered great sacrifices and they rejoiced for God made them rejoice greatly. The women and the children also rejoiced. Franco, let me hear it, buddy. What do you got? Laney at Franco. And they rejoice, and they're rejoicing. Here's that line. The rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from afar. It was a party. It was a celebration. It was people free. 
And so that's what I wish for us on this Thanksgiving, right? I wish for, I keep looking over here because I see Sabby, my man right there, right? Ray, my crew, my people. But why, what I wish for us, our generation, is freedom from that. What if we look different? What if we, our heart beat a little differently? What if we were celebrating and parting in the middle of the pack and we were okay with not needing to be so far out in front or in the spotlight? So as a church, we want to celebrate. That's what we do. We want to celebrate. And Denise, one of my heroes, is going to come up and lead us in this moment.